0: Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 94. I'm Jeff Wagner, and here with me is my co-host, the inimitable Hunter, let the music do the talking again. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the
1: biscuit lets the music do the talking.
0: The biscuit I sits I, back. I, I and. I, yeah. am,
1: I think maybe I am imitable imit- in, in, Inimitable. I, I know that, but I'm saying I'm I'm trying to uh, contradict you. Oh, I see that you think yeah, you're imitable. And it, it's easier to say inimitable than it is to say
0: Im- imitable, imitable. Yeah. imitable. Well, you yeah. uh, you are not imitable, but if you think so, I mean just yeah. just be a bit. I have low self-esteem. You know just this. Be a biscuit. Sit back. Get get buttered and uh, and let the music do the talking. Exactly. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> If we were visual, we'd have some some nice
1: explosions there. and We need effects. If you want to give us a donation for a soundboard with some effects.
0: Or if you we... want to create your own radical research bump, go ahead. Mm. Do it. We're, we're, we're game. Ahead. Just a small handful of copies left of Deserts of Hex at our store, radicalresearch.org. Let's just get into selling. Let's get into some business. And I guess you're working on Deserts of Hex number two right now. Is that correct? And you're working on it with me. I am. And I am, I'll, and I'll I am honored as ever
1: to have you. We have an expanded staff around this time. It's going to be me and Thomas and Ryan Madsen. It's going to be Forest Pitts again. Oh, good. One of our uh, our dear friends and, and great listeners, Paul Stolp.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. Asa Eisenhart oh yes oh yes Yes. it's gonna be a a a regular weird music hoedown
0: yeah no i can't wait i can't wait i'm glad to be a small part of number two and uh i i just got done just closed the cover on issue number one uh, a few days ago and uh even if I didn't know you, I'd be super, super, super impressed and and writing you fan letters. So um, anyway, uh, we we just have I think just three or four copies left of that, and then it's then it's gone forever, uh, at least until the anthology that that packages it together. The first ten, we'll see we'll see how that goes. Ample stock on Soul on Fire, the Peter Steele biography, and uh, Destination Onward, the Fate's Warning book, both written by yours truly. And let's let's note some people who gave. Let's let's cut right to the chase. It's all about the money. Justin Pravat donated a little bit of cash to RadicalResearchPodcast at gmail.com. That's our PayPal ID. If you can go directly there and drop a donation in, we really appreciate it. And it does not go to waste. It's not cheap or free doing a podcast, but uh, since you listen to it for free, you are cheap. Uh, we, we, <laughs> just kidding. We we love you all and we'd love, love to get a donation, no matter how small. Uh, another guy that did the same was Brad Beershank. We appreciate that, Brad. Special acknowledgments this time around to Hank Steamer, our friend at Rolling Stone and uh, just an all around great music dude. And Chris Warunki from Canada, who recently contacted us and he's got a uh, bit of a side project that I'm going to put the link in the notes, even though it doesn't have anything to do with tonight's subject. I think it's interesting because he's got a band called Scapegrace, who uh, just put out an album called The Abyss Swallows. And the protagonist's name in this concept album is called Hunter Wagner. This apparently was not a coincidence, and Hunter and I have gotten so so many acknowledgments that we're a little bit blown away by uh, over these ninety-four episodes. But that's one that's quite unique, man. Don't know what to think about that. But thank you, right? Thank you. Yes,
1: yes, thank you. But still, don't quite know what to
0: think about it. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. We're, we're, we're Yeah, we're humbled. Yeah. So tonight. As we've been saying probably the last handful of episodes, I guess before we get to 100, we're trying to like think about what are the ones we missed in the first 10 episodes? You know, the ones we jumped on in the first 10. You can tell what we love by looking at the first 10 episodes of Radical Research. We invite you to listen to those episodes wherever you get your fine podcasts. But there were some that we left out, like Last Crack Burning Time and this one tonight. We have to go through the, I guess we'll call them the core albums by a band from San Diego called Psychotic Waltz. If I were to meet you in the elevator and ask you to give me the elevator speech on why, why do you like Psychotic Waltz, man? What's, what's going on with that? You're wearing that Psychotic Waltz shirt. What is it about them you like? Well, what would you say? I would say that they
1: play progressive metal and they defy almost every convention of progressive metal. I would say that they have one of the most unique. And we're not doing a we're not doing an elevator speech here. Okay. The the elevator just got stuck <laughs> for about an hour and a half. Me, and I'm <laughs> and I'm about to exhaust you. <laughs> I, 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 w- I would say that they have one of the most unique guitar teams in mm. the history of metal. Yep.
0: I yep.
1: would say they have also one of the most unique vocalists in the history of metal. Yep. And they have a crack rhythm section. Yep. And they, you know, clearly come out of the Queensrÿche Fates Warning cauldron
0: and take it to an entirely different dimension. I would probably completely agree with that. I think it's interesting to look at their beginnings and we're and be warned. Even though we're covering the four albums, the key albums from the 1990s that this band released, there was stuff before it and especially after it that came out that's related either directly or indirectly, that we might just cobble together a part two. So we're not going to be covering the Reunion album from a couple years ago. Uh, we're not going to be cover- covering the Oslan demo, and we're not going to be covering some of the side projects. But I think that would make for a really interesting revisit down the road. So so look for that. But let's talk about the Aslan demo that came out in 1987. They formed in San Diego in 85 and released a demo that I've always heard. Um, to me, it sounded a bit like Early Fates Warning, who you've already mentioned, the most technical Hellstar. Maybe a bit of that, like hyperkinetic, panicked early watchtower, perhaps. Um, uh,
1: and I get a lot of
0: warning era drive. Okay. Okay. I uh, I and a lot of that. And then I hear uh, the Majesty demo, the pre-Dream Theater mm-hmm. Majesty demo. Mm-hmm. Lot, lot of parallels to that. I think
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's what our friend S. Craig Zoller likes to affectionately call Yelp metal these singers that get real high in the stratosphere and um, it it does have this rushed or panicky kind of sound, you know, the early recordings of all these bands, but yeah, it's, it's pretty classy and uh, it's pretty great. And if you're a psychotic waltz fan, it really does resonate. It is classy. It's a perfect word for it. It's classy. I mean, for a demo from 87, it really nuts. Yeah. Like they came out of the gate pretty well formed. And I, and I think we're going to hear that this band is about as dialed in to each other as you can get. And, and a lot of that has to do with the lineup. So be, before we play the first snippet, let's mention that. Uh, Buddy Lackey on vocals, aka Devin Graves. Guitarists Brian McAlpin and Dan Rock and bassist Ward Evans and drummer Norm Leggio. Now, these guys, with the exception of just a couple years in the mid-90s, yep. uh, which had it's Phil Catino playing bass, uh, yep, right, they have stuck together this whole time. That's the original five from the Aslan demo, and it's the very same quintet who yep. plays on the Reunion album from 2020 and recorded most of that stuff in the 90s. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And we're going to start with a song from their 1990 album, A Social Grace. It's called Then the Devil Cried. Right there at the end of that snippet is that magical guitarness that you mentioned earlier, where you've got this spiraling, spellbinding sort of thing floating on top. It's it's more than just guitar; <laughs> it's something else. There's, there's there's some other layer that they're yeah. patching in here and throwing in and um, weaving into the fabric of Psychotic Waltz, and it's uh, it's very, very, very key to their sound. It's almost like they. Are able to
1: turn their guitars to liquid.
2: Mm. You know, mm. It's
1: like, ooh, I like that. It it just bends in a way that normal guitars do not.
0: Right, right. <laughs> Dan Rock, Brian McAlpin, man, what can we say? Like this is this is uh, the special chemistry. This of, is like, yeah, the, yeah. This is <laughs> this is a big part of this show. Those <laughs> right, yeah. right. I remember when this band started to get noted. And it was always underground stuff. Like there was hardly ever above ground coverage or or attention. Uh, this band was as cult as could be, especially in, you know, 90 when A Social Grace came out. You had to be kind of in the know or skimming the underground deeply, not not just on the surface. And they were kind of this treasure and it was kind of hard to find their records, at least in the US. We'll talk about their weird label history uh, a little bit later. But, um, you know, when I finally first heard them, it was through a live version of I think I had the storm, which we're going to listen to in a second. And I didn't know what to make of it, actually. You know, I was primed for it Queens, Reich, Fates. I knew they were in that realm, and, but they were also spoken of in kind of these hushed tones, like there was something really special. And I heard it, but it took me a little while. And I think this whole album, Social Grace, is probably their most inaccessible or difficult to fathom. Do you have any? Well, especially back then. And like you say, there's,
1: you know, there's, obvious precedent for it but there's also not because the vocals are different and it meshes styles in a way that no other progressive metal band did and it it almost like exists in like a liminal space between prog rock and prog metal and alternative metal and all these things
0: yeah you, you bring up prog rock we have to get the obvious influence out of the yeah, way yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which is Jethro Tull and I know the some of the other guys were into Jethro Tull but I know that Buddy Lackey uh, the singer was especially into them he he calls Ian Anderson his teacher and we have flute appearing throughout their albums which is um, a really nice touch because it's never overused and I I get on my goddamn pulpit and people are just gonna have to deal with this for like a minute and we've mentioned this I think before on, on our program but just because you play a flute in a rock or metal band doesn't mean you're like you sound like Jethro Tull. Right. People are like so they have like no reference point for flutes in rock or metal. And and I'm you know I'm a fan of the instrument, so I'm I'm fine with it. It, it can be used to shit effect. It can be used to great effect. Ian Anderson obviously was a master of it. And uh, master, well, dude, the master writer. Force of equilibrium begins with the flute. <laughs> there you go yeah we 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 can name a million chilling moments but but the fact is the fact is that uh even though i say that we do have obvious jethro tall influences in this band so uh he was okay with being literal about that and that's fine because that is one great band and if you're a progressive minded metal band in 1990 it's even more welcome because it just adds that bit of more of an eccentric flair perhaps uh and then you mentioned alternative which they would they were, they rubbed shoulders with that whole scene or whatever that was in 1990 and throughout that decade, but also kind of embraced it a little bit later uh, to to good effect for the most part. Right. Yep. Yeah. And we'll, we'll hear evidence of that. Let's move on.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah.
0: Let's move on. Uh, We're going to play two from A Social Grace, this wonderful, wonderful album and, and talk about the impact of this one when we return, but this is another prophet song and Eye of the Storm.
1: these two tracks illustrate the the many sides of psychotic waltz oh yeah i
0: was writing notes furiously (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean you get the the percussion and the sort of pensive side and then you get like especially on this album and you get it a lot on the next one too but that very very aggressive side too like
0: this band was capable of genuine heaviness and a foreboding kind of darkness with the heaviness, which is always, you know, a right. a, a favorite emotion of ours <laughs> in metal, <laughs> uh, of course. If, I guess that's metal in general, but yeah, like they they can they can get downright like fur browing mean, like just mm, like when the guitars come in fur, at the end. Fur, 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 like, Brow no, did I fur browing? What did I say? Yeah, I think you meant
1: brow furrowing, but I meant
0: brow furrowing. I meant brow furrowing. browing,
1: yeah.
0: I meant brow furrowing. But I hardly ever say brow furrowing. So it was really hard to say when it came out. <laughs> I don't think anybody should say it. I think we should make this illegal, actually. Fur um, brow. Anyway, uh, my brows are furrowed. furrowed uh, anyway. <laughs> Jesus. No, but it, it it's just, it does have a meanness to it. Like when those guitars sail in on Eye of the Storm, it really works and it gets you into that place. And we've already now... Been taken to, I think, in that song, Eye of the Storm, and it's just I as in first person. It already gave us kind of this siege's evenish sort of twist. Yeah, totally. um No particular era. And then some early Fates' Warning with Spectre. But then I hear like a lot of Black Sabbath and even Led Zeppelin in there.
1: And I think it anticipates Dream Theater.
0: Yes, yes. There, there's You this... think
1: about The Mirror on Awake?
0: That, yeah. It, that always
1: right. reminded me of The Mirror.
0: Yeah. There's, there's both a majesty and a kind of madness to it. Like it's um, and, you know, his vocal delivery is kind of Ian Anderson in a sense where uh, there's a point where he starts really rapid firing out all the lyrics. And he sounds like that, that kind of like the mad poet of the court, you know, just sort of delivering that's, that's so Ian Anderson, right. On like a lot of his music with tall. So that, that influence is coming out. And yeah, you mentioned the sort of malevolent metal aspect. So god damn (laughs) what a great band and then another prop another prophet song any any words on that everything you need everything you need maybe they could have had a better band name
1: yeah apparently someone said they sounded like a psychotic waltz um but just because someone says you sound like something doesn't mean you need to name
0: your band that (laughs) right (laughs) yeah it's not nasty Savage bad uh, in terms of no. great band, great okay. bands with bad names but um it's always one I wish it was a little bit different but it also represents such greatness that I, I never think about Wait, it anymore what what's that um what's that glam band from San Francisco
1: Hans naughty it's not it's yes. not, it's not Hans naughty
0: Hans naughty it's well there's there is no Hans naughty. there's only one Hans naughty there can only be one and Hans they're Hans. coming back with the original drummer. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great so another prophet song anything to say there or just uh more greatness yeah yeah and well
1: it, it to me that one adds uh another dimension to the the sound it's got the you know the congas in the background mm-hmm. like you know texturally just sort of you know widens the palette i mean
0: yeah not yeah. things
1: that were typical of metal in 1990
0: I think the way we're kind of scattershotting what we hear and, you know, some parallels to other bands and all that, like, it's no wonder now in hindsight to me, like why this album took me a while to grasp. It's a little bit like Awaken the Guardian was when that came out for me, where I knew I loved it. I knew I already loved that band, Fate's Warning, but um, it's one of those albums where it, it just won't give it up uh, the first 10 listens. You, you really, you'll find something new on the 15th listen, and then you'll, you'll discover some new facet to it on the 20th. Yep. You know social grace is completely like that for me. Was it like that for you? Oh yeah. Okay. Um I so I heard Everflow first and okay. then social
1: grace. So it took dude it took me a long time to find these records.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't hear Everflow until probably 94.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean it came out so, what 90,
1: it, 92. 92, but I mean it took it took a while. Yes, I mean, yeah, they
0: were hard to come by. They were. They were. Before we get to into the Everflow, that makes a good bridge into their weird label history. And I just want to kind of go, not album by album, but as we get to the albums, I'll kind of explain it. But it always struck me as one of the weirdest, just simply because of the quality of the band. I, you always thought that there was at least a metal blade there for them um, mm. or or whoever back in the day. I mean, sure. and they just were on these labels that were mostly European and had no distribution in the US or very little or it was self-released in the US which in the case of Social Grace was the case they put it out on CD first and then um over in Europe Rising Sun signed it and uh but it was still hard to find Rising Sun shit in the <laughs> in in the US as i remember uh and then they were signed to an even less visible label called Bulletproof like what the fuck is bulletproof you know what i mean like like um... th- I have they're
1: no sl- idea what is. Yeah, they're
0: slumming and they're slumming so much that a label called Subsonic released it here in the US. I think that's just a bootleg. For a while I thought it was a band thing. I haven't been able to find verifiable information on Subsonic, but something on a label called Subsonic came out and I'm pretty sure it's a bootleg. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All of this is in 1990. We're not talking about a span of like 5 years. Like this would this happened when the album came out. So, people behind it but just not not the right forces to really uh get them anywhere unfortunately um yeah they they played the dynamo festival in 91 that was highly touted performance and they and they had a following in parts of europe they right? definitely are one of those bands Greece. that got yeah you know, right. yeah like got bigger in europe quicker and and all and forever you know that's still their their sure. gravy. i mean that that's kind of how it went with face warning too i mean they they had way more presence in the u.s but yeah uh than psychotic but um yeah, they're, they're even bigger in Europe, always have been. Anyway, 14 years later, Metal Blade reissues it finally. Uh, and then in 2014, Century Media got the rights, uh, which led to the Inside Out label uh, releasing god Shape Void, the reunion album. So there you go. Really strange stuff. What version do you own? I remember, this is a funny memory of us, uh, our, our budding friendship. I, I went through your CDs for the very first time. And I, you know that's always fascinating to me, especially with a, a person like you who has so many like parallels with my own listening and then so much other stuff that I don't know that I probably want to. So I'm going through your collection and I'm pulling out all the psychotic Walt CDs and like every single one of them was a completely different version than mine. I was like, what is, what is this little variation? What, you, know, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't have it
1: in front of me, but I know that the, I know that my Everflow
0: is a dream circle. and well, That's the better cover, way better cover. Yeah. Yeah. I like that album cover. I like this album cover. This is done by a guy named um Mike Clift who passed away 8 years ago. The few things he did for Psychotic Waltz which includes some reissue stuff later and uh, and a thing called uh, uh what was the um is it it's like a it's a weird collection I have it right here live and archives. Some of the shit he did on that is unreal. Uh the guy was great and should have done a lot more for both Psychotic and other metal bands but I want to point out to Mike Clift pretty amazing. Yeah. We're going to listen to uh, Out of Mind from Into the Everflow. Anything you want to say about Out of Mind? Very intense. Ah, I thought you were gonna say, let's just let the music do the talking, man.
1: Oh, or you know what we could do? Let the music
0: do the talking. Oh my God, I thought you were never gonna say that.
1: I love it. Uh, that yeah, it great is, it, you know, it's got the technicality of Watchtower and all the most musically advanced metal at that time, but it, it it's just so quirky. It it's hard to think of a metal band with more personal identity than Psychotic Waltz. <laughs> Right, I mean, there's just nothing like Psychotic
0: Waltz. Well, I, I and in the in the years since, as much progressive type stuff has there has come in metal afterwards. It's still like there's no. Yeah. I've never heard anybody that was like, oh, that sounds like Psychotic Waltz. You know, right. it, it's totally singular. The yeah. only I
1: mean, the only thing that I can think of that ties to Psychotic Waltz is um, Oyvind's vocals and uh, Spiral Architect. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's and,
0: the only thing that I can draw a direct parallel to. And here's something: that song, "Out of Mind" in particular, that we just listened to, mm-hmm. is got to be amongst their most heavy and technical. And what was oh, Spiral, God, what sure. was Spiral Architect, but heavy and technical. And I think the way that Spiral Architect did Fate's Warning's Prelude to Ruin, I think they could have done an amazing version of "Out of Mind." Because mm-hmm. I, from from the one cover that that band ever did, the Fate song. It's amazing. I love their version of that Fates track. Um, Could could we pay them enough to get back together to record a kick ass version of Out of Mind? We'd be producers, of course. Like because if it's not if it's not amazing, we need to
1: help. I I don't I don't think that that would be the at this point in our lives. I don't know that that would be the best use of our money. (laughs) No, I think we can probably imagine how that how it would sound. Yeah, no, I'm not
0: doing that. I mean, you couldn't tell your daughter like, look, you. You may not be eating for a couple weeks, but we'll get through it. And I really just need this for me. (laughs) Yeah. Look, Ella,
1: (laughs) you know, college overrated. Yeah. We're going to send you to a trade school. (laughs) Um, You're going to be a blacksmith and daddy's going to get a really awesome metal cover. (laughs) That is so ridiculous.
0: Cool. All right. Yeah. I'm sure she'd be down into the Everflow. This is the title track from their amazing second album. So Hunter, um, the best psychotic waltz right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think we need to make any arguments about the, uh, the guitar team anymore. <laughs> Jesus. No, no, that was, um,
0: that
2: was just like a, a razor
1: about as magical as metal gets.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, and just <laughs> hit, hits me as directly as a razor through the skin kind of like, it's just, yep. it's just this, um, man, it connects. Yeah. And, um, I guess, like a lot of we just we've been discovering this over 94 episodes, hearing it in snippet form is is so different than the usual experience. It uh, is, and, and that one really lifted it. Obviously,
1: like, a moment of magic. It's, yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Taking it out of context, it still works, and it in fact it helped it helped that one for me because I realized that that little snippet, that little nugget of two minutes or whatever, it's just like the perfect distillation of, of what this band is.
1: Yeah, that that's the perfect description of it. It is like that, that one passage pretty much distills all the the majesty and mysticism and mystery of psychotic waltz.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to get to Little People. This is uh, the third and final one we'll be sampling from Into the Everflow. Came out in, uh, was this 92? It was. Yeah, November uh,
1: 92. I, I think there was another... I think it was another version in 93, but yeah, the Dream Circle version was not... It's a, it's a 92 record.
0: Well, let me tell you, Hunter, I've got the radical research on that. I've got... Oh. I've, yeah. It, it's, it's just as convoluted as the uh, Social Grace label oh. history because there's Dream Circle and Bulletproof involved. They come back in with Bulletproof. Who the fuck knows what that's about? Also self-released in the US. That's the version I have. And as I said, I think the Dream Circle cover, it's a completely different piece of artwork, but uh, much better, I think, than the... Um, the self-release version and then this and then a label called metal mania in japan put it out mm. um and this is all in 92 to 93 so kind of you know still current and yeah. then same thing as the debut like finally metal blade comes in and then finally century media comes in like the, the labels that really you wished would have had them first finally did them justice when especially you know century Media when they got back together and you know did some touring and all that they probably should have been on metal blade from the beginning and here's the thing, I want to mention this later, but I'm just gonna say it now. Like, there was so much respect amongst label people back then. It wasn't as if Brian Slagle and the people running central media didn't know about him and love him. It's just there right. were certain as there were certain reasons, and some of them I know, some of them I don't, but generally the respect for them was just so massive early on. So how can how can you not? Well, I know that's what I'm saying. There so there's
1: no way not to respect this band.
0: Yeah, this is another song from End of the Everflow, Little People.
1: Good transition from this era to the next
0: one i was wondering if you picked it that way because i, I want to let listeners know you picked every single track except for the full song that we're going to end on uh that, and i picked that one but you did all these and you you picked some I, I, you picked I, I, some seriously choice nugs and and you're so right because i'm listening to that thinking of mosquito
1: yeah yes and so it's got the complexity of everflow but the chorus is very direct And I think it sort of points the way that
0: the band would go. It's also interesting throughout this album, the band kind of breaks the fourth wall. And this was not anything that was um, that was done too often in metal. What I mean by that is like they would reference influences in their lyrics, uh, where like in Butterfly, the last song, uh, there's a whole stanza where. for the purple-hazed experience of, of the Electric Lady's voodoo child, yes, they were bold as love, just ask the Axis. So, clearly a, a Jimi Hendrix reference. What do you think of Butterfly? I, I don't like it. There's one clunker on this for you.
1: Y- yes. And, and I, I I actually kind of actively dislike the lyrics and the way that he does that whole thing.
0: You know, I, I agree with you. I brought it up because I, I, I've always found that interesting, but... Um, yeah, I agree with you. This is not my favorite either. And Mosquito, the next album, actually has a couple that I don't like. So, yeah. so for a bit, there were the these were imperfect albums, but that's okay. Uh they gave us plenty. <laughs> and if and if you were thinking about buying Obviously. these, <laughs> yeah, if you were thinking about buying these, uh and then heard us say that, please don't let that sway you. Um oh, but also before that, we have Freak Show, which is a good song, very good song. And one of the last lyrics in that is this goddamn mother gonna try to take me down take a place in line just lead your pigs into the slaughter thank you perry for the idea man is he referencing perry farrell and pigs and zen oh maybe shit i think he is dude i Uh, think you're right yeah so so there we go so so what i'm saying about breaking the fourth wall we kind of got off on our little tangents but um I think that's interesting that like he's bringing in contemporary or influential guys like Hendrix uh, into the lyrics and um, just not something you'd think about with like a Queensryche or a fate's warning. So um,
1: nah. <laughs> yeah, no, de- de- definitely not fate's warning.
0: Yeah. So again, the span of this band, before we move on to the third album mosquito, I want to mention that, and I know you and I have talked about this Hunter, but like the first two albums by psychotic waltz are synonymous with one particular person and friend in my life besides you. And that's Eula Garrett, Mm. Uh, because right around the time I met Eula, I had uh, sent away for his fanzine, Comedy of Errors. I got it back and it had Psychotic Waltz on the cover, an issue I still treasure. It was a fantastic read. It is a fantastic read. It holds up. Uh, But his love for Psychotic Waltz showed very, 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 very deeply uh, on that in that issue. And he's since gone on to work for them uh, in various business capacities uh, and just been a very vocal supporter he's done liner notes so he's um he's a huge fan and he's a he's a great friend and, and a companion of ours and um i love that guy and i love psychotic waltz and i'm like no wonder Eula's such a cool guy and such a good friend because he has he has the uh the ability to understand this band along with us so
1: yes who got me into psychotic waltz eula garrett eula garrett who's that now <laughs> so he's this guy i think you'd like him yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, you should hang out sometime. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot of
0: Eula Garrett's out there. So I just I'm just saying, like, you know. He <laughs> infamously thought of uh, a lot of people thought he was a girl, which you know, nothing wrong with that. It's just uh he had you had to explain this a lot that he's not a girl. Uh, <laughs> 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 he's got about the best sense of humor of anybody I know as well. So he hey, like one Garretts. of my
1: favorite one of my favorite Eula moments was when he reviewed um Anathema's serenades. And he was talking about "Lovelorn Rhapsody," mm-hmm. and he said wanted it played at his funeral. And he said that would be such a eulogy
0: for eulogy. <laughs> See, that's the kind of wit.
2: You, uh,
0: I know. I, well, Eula has a wit that I that is incomparable. I mean, he's he's amazing. <laughs> All right, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Tell us about Mosquito, Hunter. Tell us about Mosquito. Weird.
1: Threw me for a loop when I first heard it. Yeah. So, I, I rem- and I remember reading the little, it was a
0: brash report. In Metal was Maniacs. That- yeah. Okay. Don't and, assume all listeners know Metal Maniacs the way you do, dude, because nobody does. You're insane. Okay. Well, anyway,
1: it was a brash report, and I remember them saying that... um know we've gotten away from the kind of rock opera thing that we've been doing and we're sort of condensing you know these ideas down into you know as as you know was with the zeitgeist of the mid 90s it was all about sort of condensing you know the ambitions of the early 90s into these like you know four minute songs and that's pretty much what they did on this album yeah that they didn't do it all that well all the time but there are some amazing songs on this album oh definitely i hope that like i hope that we illustrate that it is a flawed album for Um, sure but but listeners stay with us because redemption awaits you
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) right right yeah this one threw me for a loop too Uh, and i'll mention the cover like they dropped the metal looking logo which again in 1994 for a metal band trying to uh just evolve in that era uh not uncommon for them to go all lowercase or drop a logo (laughs) you know it's very common so but i like the cover i like the mosquito on the uh the red bud leaf you know or the plant big juicy plant and there's this mosquito on it cool idea i'm fine with it I will say in this album, their love for marijuana, you know, you can take all the Bongzilla songs and fucking stick them up your ass because Bongzilla had nothing on Psychotic Waltz's love of pot. I'm sorry. I just got to say it.
1: Yeah. No, these guys really like, yeah. Between Kelly Schaefer and this band. <laughs> nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. High as hell. <laughs> high as hell. High as hell down there in, <laughs> in Tampa, in San Diego. But interesting album. And I will say, I, you know, for all we're saying about it, it's kind of telling that further label history so far, like it didn't bode well in 94 for a third album from this band that was a bit different than what they were, you know, kind of the bedrock they'd laid prior. Uh, because only Bulletproof and a self-title were released. So that that's, I mean, that's completely nuts. You know, why 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 was this great band on their third album uh, having to self-release and then go with this, I don't know what the fuck label bulletproof is as much as I, people have accused me of knowing a metal. I know I've never heard of it, you know? <laughs> so no. I don't, I don't know. Again, it was made right by metal blade and century media years later. Let's listen to um, really one of the best on the album, <laughs> if not the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was kind of hesitant,
1: but I was trying to do, you know, the albums in sequence, you know, sure. and I was like, damn dude, Hayes one is, you know, maybe the best at, song on this album but anyway
0: well let's let's blow the wad with haze one and we'll uh you know the, the other two aren't slouches so here we go nope haze one so much to say I one thing is I really wish they would have had uh, that production on the first two because I no matter what I think of this album as a whole and having gaps and stuff in in the quality I love the way this album sounds it's maybe my favorite production by them I I just it works for me it's it's it gets into a slicker rounder bassier area and then um, kind of retains that that nice raw to the gut sort of thing that the Mm. first two albums have. And it's really interesting to note that the same guy who produced this produced Cannibal Corpse's The Bleeding and Obituaries World Demise in the same year. Yep. Scott Burns. Yep. And I I love that. (laughs) I do too.
1: And I think that um, that last hook we heard, you can take your pause and your my sister's
2: machines
1: (laughs) and your candle boxes (laughs) put it where the sun don't shine yeah Yeah. this this should have been a hit it's okay too like I really I actually really really like the production on Into the Everflow. oh no don't get me wrong I do yeah but I think this is and it's funny because I think the production on this album is way better than the production on the next album which yeah. I yeah. vastly prefer in terms of material. But the sound on this one is way better to me. You know what's weird um, is
0: you and I agree on that.
2: <laughs>
0: the next one's like kind of brittle. And a little and flatlined. It's just a little bit like, yeah, the dynamics are lacking. It's all kind of the same. It's, it's I, hate kind the
1: of like, it, I hate the drum sound on Bleeding. but
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. We'll get okay. there. Yeah, we'll get there. Let's stick here for a while. But yeah, uh, Yeah. Scott Burns was simply a fan. This was another area, like a lot of the Florida death metal guys and guys like Scott Burns, who was, you know, as a fan, never just about death metal, but (laughs) obviously cut his teeth on producing it. But he was always a fan, as were a lot of these other guys in Atheist and Cynic and other bands. And again, I think that speaks to their reach and their appeal. And they're kind of universality that perhaps even Queensryche or fate's warning didn't have. It's just, it didn't happen on the levels that those it happened for those bands. But again, I, I think we all know that that's a matter of uh, circumstance sometimes well, and, yeah. not, and not talent it, it, or writing or whatever. Yeah, no, of course
1: not. I mean, dude, you know, Senate couldn't get arrested when focus came out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we don't, we take that for granted now you know like cynics a you know a major quantity but like back then no one really cared it's a damn shame that psychotic waltz hasn't experienced the same kind of resurgence
0: yeah Um, i i think there was an expectation that maybe that would happen in uh whenever they got back together and then the album of a few years later it just didn't go that way but Well, look, let's listen to more evidence of why it should have. We're going to listen to a song called Cold and Only Time from Mosquito back to back. So Only Time is a song that I've never loved. The one I just really don't like at all on Mosquito is Lockdown. Uh I don't like oh, the
1: same too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Only Time you picked it. Obviously you like it. I, I like it fun. I like it better than Lockdown. I don't love it as much as most of the rest, but I do do really really love and always have that last part that we listen well, to. Well, that's
1: why I picked it.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> I mean that, that's just so sublime and and just well, that, but we, if that you weird flangey back into the old it, it just tells you, like, this is the same band. The song Into the Everflow, it, it has resonance yeah. to that. There's that flangy thing uh, on the bass or maybe the kick drum. I don't know, but Barrel. Yeah, <laughs> burr, burr. right. Love it. That's great. A little kind of a mogey sound to it. Yeah, that, the little surprises that they'll tuck into corners. That's that's also psychotic walls. If you haven't gotten it yet, they're an amazing band. <laughs> right. Yeah, we are. <laughs> This is this hyperbole central tonight on episode ninety four. (laughs) Um, and then cold man, no argument there. To me, that's like if Soundgarden got even more metal because they were always you know metallic. That that's precisely why I picked that one too. Yeah,
1: because I always heard a little bit uh, because there is a a kind of mysticism in you know Soundgarden too, like that. Drony supernatural guitar sound
0: well i think they're playing they're even playing with like either fifths or just to have that kind of like um eastern what we right. g- generically describe as eastern sounding music and it has it has that eastern asian vibe it just it's something really kind of boy. It, yeah that's a tough one to describe but yeah. i know ex- I, I know think- exactly where you're aiming and yeah, yeah. Soundgarden had that too and you know we're big Soundgarden fans you probably even more than me if we can quantify it that that doesn't matter like we're both both
1: big Soundgarden fans
0: yeah and I think just Psychotic Wallace was one of those that as you said way earlier in this episode I think you know they stepped into that alternative metal or alternative rock world um very hard and most bands failed at it it's hilarious to go through metal archives sometimes and like look at bands like I don't know I'll just pick tourniquet for example and see these bands that like tried yeah. to like tried to navigate the 90s and it was just so fucking hard and you could just tell by the covers and the the dumbed down logos and the song titles you know like down and cold and you know uh elbow yeah, and, uh, yeah the one the one word song title <laughs> absolutely signifier yeah which gets us to bleeding this is um this is an album i didn't have like, tons of hope for when it came out uh, I remember I had just gotten to Metal Maniacs maybe maybe right before I left Relapse. It came out like what, 96? So uh,
1: here, I think it came out in... I, re- the, I remember Sue Knowles reviewed it in like the, it, the last uh, issue of Maniacs in like 96. Okay, yeah. I didn't get it. I didn't get it then. It took me a couple of years to pick it up was that simply because I I, I also was totally skeptical and I, and I was in a very different place then. I was heavily into black metal and what was going on in Europe. And just, I don't know, like, I, I just, I wondered how this band could manage something that, you know, and again, like, it took a lot of effort to get these albums. No, well, it, okay. It took okay. a lot of effort. It took a lot of expense. And <laughs> right, right. I want to spend, you know, $25 on an import. Things were different back then, man. Like if you wanted an album and it costs a lot of money and I just didn't have the faith. And so it took me a couple of years. And when I got it, ah, it was just like <laughs> Hunter, you dumb bastard.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, Sue Knowles gave it a really good review. So there was that. Yeah, that was that.
1: wonderful review, but I yeah. still didn't have the face.
0: I understand. I didn't glom onto it until like 97, which is right when I landed at Maniacs. And the only reason I mentioned that is I think I just kind of got it as a promo. And in fact, I'm looking at my jewel case copy now. On the disc, it's somebody wrote promo. So somebody sent it to me, uh, and it's the self-titled version. So it must have been from the band or somebody. Oh, you know him. what?
1: I didn't have that luxury, Jeff. No, no, no I'm not. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> as if this is huge bragging rights in, in this universe but the fact the fact is i got it i had the same expectations as you did which was a little low i was glad that the old logo was back but then i wasn't glad that the cover was kind of bad it was that typical, typical
1: shitty typical like, mid like to late fucking, 90s um yeah like, metal paint bad cgi just yeah. yeah all of
0: it yeah all of it so Uh, But finally, when I did listen to it, I I remember the first listen after the first song, which we are going definitely to listen to. I was hooked. I just like this is this is so fantastic. Like, oopsie. You know, I slept on this for about eight months, but that's okay. The cover. A part of my dark soul um, that considers this the
1: best Psychotic Worlds album.
0: Uh, I would never argue with somebody who said that. I, I, to me it's one two and four you they're they're inarguable uh mm. all three are fantastic yeah it opens with a song called faded uh, which we're going to listen to a little bit of and when you sent me the snippets earlier i had to text you this afternoon and say man this one part always gives me chills it's the part that uh what is it hover hummingbird beautiful ufo oh. something about his delivery the melody there everything just has always given me chills and it gave me chills just to uh, hear the snippet First off, man, Buddy lackey is singing his ass off on this song, dude. Singing his fucking ass off, God. This is Damn. some best Buddy lackey <laughs> Oh my Jesus, it's amazing. It's and uh, just his flow is really good. Like his way- soulfulness. Yeah, yeah. And he's melted into the music kind of perfectly. It's not, it's not predictable, but it, you know, because it is a more, I don't know, streamlined or linear psychotic waltz. Like, it, he's able to kind of weave in and out, like because you know. the the guys have him they've got his back and i just really like his construction or his phrasing throughout this album and uh, i don't think there's anything better than faded for him as an example of how how great he is on this album and how how really great this album is as a whole also i gotta mention that there's another reason why we might not have been like all hyped on it like right away because again it had nothing behind it it was again like mosquito a self-released in the u.s and then bulletproof in UK. I got. I got to look up this bulletproof. No, Maybe. Less hyped than mosquito to me. Right. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So weird. Um, just so weird. And then tellingly, they faded after this. It didn't seem probably worth going on. Um, you don't say that
1: they faded.
0: Oh, you? funny. I didn't even. I did Wasn't trying to make a pun. Yeah. Well, so, so stop. Stop. Stop yeah. that wild accusation. Um. So. <laughs> Let's go out with two from Bleeding. There's the title track and then this sumptuous sublime thing called Northern Lights, another ode to marijuana, but also just just the most beautiful song.
1: psychedelic metal oh my my oh my i mean really and Ugh. you and i talked a little bit about this as we were playing it but there's some major connections between the uh, clean guitars on that title track and the uh dactylus uh 13th sun era of candle mass that you and i covered quite some time ago
0: you you brought it up first, and I've never thought of it, but I completely agree with you. Yeah, the, no, no question. No my Edling
1: is a, a close listener and a yep. guy that's always kind of kept up with things, and I wonder if this was on his radar.
0: Well, I mean, he was a Dream Theater fan, so that leads me to the fact that if his mind is open enough, uh, open enough for that, certainly Psychotic Waltz would have and sh- could have been on his radar, you know? Sure. Yep. Yeah, and the similarities... In feel and atmosphere and aesthetic of this era of psychotic <laughs> and Dactylus and From the 13th Sun, Candlemass. yeah. Man, I think you're dead on. That's, that's an astute observation. Well right. done. Well right. done, Biscuit. <laughs> I butter, do I you butter up and enjoy the rest of your night. Um, do. <laughs> now, I, I do want to say that Northern Lights, uh, sort of like Faded, sort of like the song Into the Everflow, sort of like a lot of moments in this band's discography it still just gives me chills like the first time uh, i just think northern lights is such a sublime beautiful ode uh it, man <laughs> just at yeah. a lot oh, I'm, I'm, at a loss here no question and then bleeding bleeding really does well at what we were talking about earlier with which is kind of embracing that kind of groovier rockier aspect that was so prevalent in in the mid to late 90s
1: yeah uh, again uh, might be my favorite psycho it, it it's probably my go-to um in some ways this album i yeah bleeding um, yeah. i I mean, you know everyone here knows my allegiances, yeah <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> what I do like in my day job, but bleeding is just it's like the really kind of the apotheosis of everything they've done it it distills all the elegance. And the that, you know, the sinuous guitar approach of the early stuff with just these perfect, condensed, psychedelic metal songs. It's a
0: very special thing. Man, I I mean, I certainly couldn't have said it better. I'm I'm glad you said you said as such. And like we said, that this is this kind of puts a cap on the band's 90s era and the four great and foundational albums. I, I do think we should do a part two not too far down in the future because there's the Aslan demo that came before all of this. There are, uh, there's the Buddy Lackey solo album, there's the Dark Star album, there's the Dead Souls Tribe stuff, there's the End Amen stuff. Uh, Norm was in Cage of all bands, uh, then there's the Reunion I did album. Not know that. Yeah, Norm, Norm Leggio played in that Age. power metal band called Cage, yeah, the Judas Priesty kind of band. Yeah, then God Shape Void, which has uh, you know, unlike Bleeding, has a great Travis Smith cover. Uh, I, I think it's such a it, it, it's almost their best album cover. We we would never say their best album, but I just love it. They, you know, the logo's still there. Great stuff. And um that's it's worth spotlighting. And there's just a lot of richness to this band and their little offshoots and their tentacles. And um, while these four are really what we're trying to sell to you there's kind of more to explore we realized so we'll bring you a part two at some point for sure yep are you up for that and are you uh, up for letting the, all that music do the talking i'm pole vaulting into <laughs> uh, two
1: of psychotic waltz
0: you're pole vaulting <laughs> like the <guy. laughs> the tributaries <laughs> Pol- pole vaulting like the guy in the cover of uh, donham's guard satanic art <laughs> <laughs> yeah G- that that is
1: that's what I want to be one day.
0: That's a band we may or may not be covering next episode. Hunter and I are going to try to pull off something uh, with the new album. If we don't, we're probably going to do uh, Fusion Decapitations Part Three because yep. we just can't help ourselves.
2: <laughs> how, how, how can and,
0: one? And then we have other plans. But thanks for listening. We're going to end with the entirety of my grave. This obviously features Buddy Lackey on vocals and flute. It's his masterpiece. I, I think this is one of the one of the greatest things that have ever been done by this entire constellation. And yeah, we're going to listen to the whole of it because I figure, you know, if if, uh, if Bulletproof wants to come after us for the rights and, and the and the monies, you know, fucking bring the lawyers, man. We could probably bring, afford, bring we could probably it. afford it better than they could. You, know
2: what?
0: <laughs> you know what, motherfuckers, we're bulletproof.
2: Ooh, damn. Oh, damn.
0: drop, get out my face. The gauntlet has been thrown. All right, Psychotic Waltz, my grave. I love you, Hunter. Love you. Take care, brother. Bye, right, man. Till next time.
2: ¡Suscríbete